Hi, this is Jason Smith, letting you know that this is the last episode of this first season of Digital Jung. As I've mentioned before, I'm going to be taking the summer months of July and August off, and I'll be returning in September with a new season of episodes. It's truly been a privilege and a joy to produce this podcast over these past several months, and I'm grateful to all the many people who have reached out over that time to let me know what you have enjoyed and what you found meaningful. Thank you. I hope you enjoy this episode, and as always, thanks for listening, and take good care. Welcome to Digital Jung, a podcast about living a symbolic life in a technological age. Man cannot stand a meaningless life. I'm Jason Smith, Jungian analyst and author of Religious But Not Religious. And in this episode, we discuss the importance of art for human life and the central place it holds for living a symbolic life. It's the human soul. That's the buried treasure. What if there were a living agency beyond our everyday human world, something even more purposeful than electrons? Do we delude ourselves in thinking that we possess and control our own psyches? And is what science calls the psyche not just a question mark arbitrarily confined within the skull, but rather a door that opens upon the human world from a world beyond, allowing unknown and mysterious powers to act upon man and carry him on the wings of the night to a more than personal destiny. There's a wonderful and, I think, important book by Ellen DeSanayaka a scholar who has written extensively on the role of art in human life. And it's titled Homo Aestheticus. And as the title suggests, for Dysoniaca, art and the aesthetic are foundational aspects of our humanity. They make us human. In her book, she makes the claim that art is a biological imperative. And she writes that humans have evolved to require such things as beauty and meaning, that these have intrinsic importance for us, and to be without them creates serious psychological deprivation. 
art, in other words, is part of our nature and therefore part of how we participate in nature. It's not just a mere adornment on the more essential aspects of living. It is essential. It is as necessary to our survival as food. In the same essay from which our opening quote comes, an essay titled Psychology and Literature, Jung makes a similar claim to Dysoniaca. Art, he says, is an innate drive. The thrust of Jung's article, however, approaches the human experience of art from the other side of the picture, so to speak, than that of Dysoniaca, where Dysoniaca wants to understand how humans make use of art. Jung's interest, it could be said, is in how art makes use of human beings. What if there were a living agency beyond our everyday human world, asks Jung, something even more purposeful than electrons? And it's this idea and experience of a living agency that is at the heart of Jung's argument in this essay. Art, he is saying, is an expression of this agency. And it's one that's not arbitrary or random, but purposeful. Jung suggests that there are two dimensions or levels of artistic activity, the psychological and the visionary. Now, a better term for what he calls the psychological level of art, as the editors of Jung's collected works, I think, rightly suggest in the footnotes, is the personalistic. And this kind of art deals with common human experiences, such as love, suffering, or passion. Those everyday happenings, writes Jung, which we tend to evade or to overlook because we perceive them only dully or with a feeling of discomfort. This kind of art is beautiful and important, and it gives us greater insight into our human existence. But there's another and deeper level of creation, which Jung calls the visionary. And it's this level that he primarily equates with the activity of that living agency of the psyche. As those creative products that stem from this level of artistic activity are thought to derive from and to express the collective unconscious. That store of human wisdom and knowledge that makes up the psychological anatomy that we all hold in common. This kind of artistic creation is more symbolic, more an expression of the transpersonal than of the personal. Jung uses such works as Goethe's Faust, Dante's Divine Comedy, and Melville's Moby Dick as examples of the visionary dimension. The kind of art that emerges from this level presents, he writes, something strange that derives its existence 
from the hinterland of man's mind. It can be a revelation whose heights and depths are beyond our fathoming, or a vision of beauty which we can never put into words. Both of these levels of art are vital and necessary for life. And notice that both of them speak to the unknown in our experience, the personalistic to that which we miss in our everyday life, that which we could and should know, but too often overlook, and the visionary to that which is ultimately unknowable, but the intimation of which infuses our lives with a deep coherence. Often when we experience the personalistic level of art, it can be like suddenly recognizing something we've always known, but only dimly, such that we didn't even know that we knew it until the work of art helped to crystallize our experience. The visionary level, on the other hand, often shuts down knowing altogether and leaves us in a state of aesthetic arrest, transfixed before the ineffable. What Jung is pointing to, though, is that through art, and particularly visionary art, the psyche is experienced as a door that opens upon the human world from a world beyond, allowing unknown and mysterious powers to act upon man and carry him on the wings of the night to a more than personal destiny. Art, that is, makes visible the working of the unknown and mysterious powers that undergird and enliven so much of our experience of life. And when there's no avenue for these energies to pour into our lives, life becomes flat, devoid of beauty and meaning and interest. This is the very thing that Jung describes in the very first quote that I used in that very first episode of this podcast, when he states that without a symbolic life, everything is banal, everything is nothing but, and that is the reason why people are neurotic. The nothing but life makes us sick because there's no vivifying background to our experience. This is the condition that Joseph Campbell, in his work on the hero's journey, calls the wasteland. Without the enlivening background revealed to us through visionary art, we're thrown back on our own resources. We lose connection with more lasting values, with the more-than-personal values. And as a consequence, the search for meaning and purpose becomes a moment-to-moment -moment affair. Under these conditions, I write in my book, one tends to follow whatever gives off the strongest signal, which is usually filtered 
through the prism of desire. Leading with desire is an exercise in attempting to feed the spirit with what Emily Dickinson calls fickle food upon a shifting plate. And here I want to turn to a beautiful passage from the writer Joseph Conrad, who speaks about that part of our being that is touched in our encounter with art. This passage powerfully echoes and amplifies our opening quote from Jung. And it goes like this. The artist appeals to that part of our being, which is a gift and not an acquisition, and therefore more permanently enduring. He speaks to our capacity for delight and wonder, to the sense of mystery surrounding our lives, to our sense of pity and beauty and pain, to the latent feeling of fellowship with all creation, and to the subtle but invincible conviction of solidarity that knits together the loneliness of innumerable hearts to the solidarity in dreams, in joy, in sorrow, in aspirations, in illusions, in hope, in fear, which bind us to each other, which binds together all humanity, the dead to the living and the living to the unborn. Why is it we might ask, that we can be so moved, as Joseph Conrad describes, by a work of art. How is it that the reflections, the visions, the imaginings, and the dreams of some stranger in some other place or some other time can speak to us in the present moment in such a personal and even intimate way? Is it possible that there is a place in the soul that knits together the loneliness of innumerable hearts, that joins us together in a more than personal destiny? We live in a technological age marked by rapid and constant change, a never-ending search for the new and the novel. And because of this, we tend to forget that despite certain differences of time, culture, and circumstance, there is an underlying stability to the human experience. There are very few changes at life's heart, writes Evelyn Underhill. That is why great literature, however ancient, always moves us and is always understood. It has to do with the unchanging heart of life. And this is also why an engagement with art in all its forms can be healing. 
It communicates directly with our deepest nature. It offers a sanctuary and a place of belonging to our weary souls. It reminds us of our fellowship with all creation, as Conrad writes. Whoever speaks in primordial images speaks with a thousand voices, declares Jung. And he goes on to say that such an artist evokes in us all those beneficent forces that ever and anon have enabled humanity to find a refuge from every peril and to outlive the longest night. Art heals. And here I, I want to make it clear that I'm using the term art in the broadest sense, referring to any creative work that seeks to express those enduring values of the good, the true, and the beautiful. Art heals, not because something new is added to us from the outside, but because it reconnects us to that living agency that is both within us and around us, and that communicates to us through the psyche. For Jung, art is an indication that there is something that realizes its own purposes through us. The artist, he says, is the instrument of the art. It is not Goethe that creates Faust, writes Jung, but Faust that creates Goethe. Just so, in one way or another, art shapes us, and our task is to become conscious of this shaping and to participate with it as fully as we can. And of course, we're not all called to be creative artists, and certainly we are not all meant to be instruments of the visionary level of creation. But that does not exclude us from some experience of that living agency beyond our human world that Jung talks about, that communicates to us a more than personal destiny through the medium of some art. The symbolic life is the practice of living in relationship to this living agency. And to engage with art is to experience what Raymond Panikkar calls a vital circle. A vital circle, of course, is the opposite of a vicious circle. And it's described as a kind of dance between what is individual and particular in its encounter with the transpersonal and the universal, one that is expressed in a rhythm of growth and development. And in this instance, it begins with the inspired artist who creates a work which then invokes in another an experience of inspiration, which in turn leads to more creation or to action which, of course, is its own form of creation, and which may inspire another, and so on. This vital circle of art can continue creating the conditions 
for ongoing inspiration to creation cycles. Deep calls to deep, say the Psalms, expressing a profound psychological truth. And of course, the point of any art, be it psychology, religion, science, or the creative arts, is not the art itself, but life. That is the important takeaway from all of this. We are called to more life, to the expression of our full humanity. As Abraham Joshua Heschel says, the meaning of life is to build a life as if it were a work of art. We are our own work. Life is our art. And Jung, too, talks about what is involved in the difficult art of being human. For Jung, the task is individuation, to become that which you are. That means not leaving too much of your authentic life unlived, which is not the same as trying to have every experience that the world has to offer. Rather, it's the work of expressing as fully as possible the person that you are and were meant to be and holding nothing back of your true self. Of course, this doesn't mean that any of this is easy or that it frees us from life's difficulties and dangers. Meaning and happiness are not always compatible and not always in sync with each other. But Jung is no perfectionist, right? We don't need nor should we expect to experience perfection or to be free of our very human and imperfect selves. We must not forget, he writes, that only a very few people are artists in life, that the art of life is the most distinguished and rarest of all the arts. Who ever succeeded in draining the whole cup with grace? Still, we needn't be discouraged by this. Individuation, becoming who we are, is ultimately humble work. We do have a contribution to make, and we do so by being who we are and expressing our gifts as fully as we are able. And whatever we're able to do, so long as we do it sincerely and with integrity, is enough. And I want to close here with a quote from Jung. And the statement that he makes here is, made in reference to the work of the psychotherapist, helping one's patient to grow in consciousness and self-realization. But it applies, I believe, 
to all of us who are engaged in the work of consciousness in one form or another, in willingly and conscientiously taking up the task that we ourselves are, in the difficult art of being human. When we engage in such a work, says Jung, we are perhaps laying an infinitesimal grain in the scales of humanity's soul. Small and invisible as this contribution may be, it is yet an opus magnum. Until next time. You'll find information in the show notes for all the sources used in this week's episode, as well as links to connect with me on social media. Let's make this a conversation. If you have any comments or questions about anything you heard in this episode, or that you'd like me to address in a future episode, send them to me on Facebook or Twitter. And finally, if you want a deeper dive into the kind of material explored on this podcast, please check out my book, Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life, available from Chiron Publications. Thanks for listening, and take good care.